Welcome back to the Warehouse Podcast. I'm Tyler, and the Orioles have made a signing. They're adding Craig Kimbrell to the back end of their bullpen on a one-year deal with a club option for 2025. Now, obviously, this deal is being kind of dwarfed by a lot of things going on in baseball right now. It's not the Juan Soto trade. It's not a signing of a Josh Hader, which hasn't happened yet, but is something the Orioles have been connected to. But it does fill a need for the Orioles, and it's something that Mike Elias, the Orioles' GM, has been saying they need to do all winter long. Granted, it's not even winter yet. It's only been about a month since the World Series ended, but you get the point. This is something he said the Orioles need to do. Clearly is a need for them. And he gets it done with Kimbrell, who obviously is a big name, you know, probably a decade beyond when he was really truly elite, but still a productive baseball player, an important pitcher at the back end of a bullpen for a lot of teams recently. Um, and it fills a need for this Orioles team. So let's talk about the contract here. It's going to pay him $12 million in 2024. And it could potentially pay him $13 million in 2025. Uh, in between there, there is a, a option for 2025 that if the Orioles do not pick it up, uh, they will have to give him a $1 million buyout, essentially guaranteeing him at least $13 million for this contract. Pretty good money if you can get it. Um, and the reports are indicating that Kimbrell has been told that he will serve as the Orioles closer. Um, obviously a need there with Felix Bautista hurt and going to miss all of 2024. Um, I think that's the part that has people a little bit on edge and uncertain about this. First of all, you know, there's folks out there and I, I kind of count myself among them that that doesn't always love just saying like, hey, buddy, the ninth inning is yours every single time out. I've always kind of preferred the hey, uh, the the two, three, four hitters are coming up in the bottom of the eighth inning with a one run lead. We're going to go to our best reliever versus our closer. But that's semantics. Um Kimbrell is not what he used to be. He is not the, the Braves version of Kimbrell when he was posting sub two ERAs. Um, that has people a little bit on edge there to say like, hey, here's the ninth inning every time. We'll get into that and maybe what my thoughts are there. But for now, that seems to be the setup there is that the Orioles are going to anoint him the closer of the moment. And on a team that has, you know, I think at this point, it's fair to say that this Orioles team going into 2024 should have World Series ambitions. Picking a closer is a huge deal. Um, and Kimbrell is a veteran guy been there that, you know, a lot of that makes sense, but the performance hasn't been quite there where you would love to see like an elite closer, like we're coming off of with Felix Bautista in uh, 2023. Um, in addition to that, it looks like he's going to wear Jersey number 46, which has been a number for him historically throughout his career. He hasn't always worn it, but that's tended to be his most common number. The Orioles haven't given out 46 recently. Um, Jeremy Guthrie was the last one to wear it from 2007 to 2011. And uh, Mike Flanagan obviously wore 46 for a very long time. And he's a person that has a lot of meaning to the Orioles organization. Uh, the community uh, was a front office member for a long time. And then unfortunately, um, it took his own life uh, after that front office stint did not go so well. Um, so understandable why the 46 has not been given out too terribly much. We'll see if that's just a bug on MLB.com and he's not actually getting it. But for right now, he's on the Orioles roster assigned number 46. Um, on the size of the con uh, the size of the contract, rather, this is going to be the biggest deal that the Orioles have given out under Mike Elias free agent deal. That is this this guaranteed 13 million dollars. It surpasses Kyle Gibson's one year, $10 million from a year ago, um, which is which makes a lot of sense. I think we always kind of expected the Orioles to make some kind of a deal like this. We didn't know exactly with which part, which part of the roster. But, you know, if you look back to the Astros um, where Mike Elias was not the GM, but an important and prominent member of the front office there, they did a lot of this where they would sign veterans, you know, plug holes with 
guys that had experience that you felt were good personality fit for the roster. Uh, they did it. They did it again last year with a whole bunch of guys. Uh, Adam Fraser on a one-year deal, Gibson on a one-year deal. McCann, they traded for and He'll be back this year, but again, sort of the same sort of idea there. And, you know, even going back to 2022 with Odor uh, at second base, you know, they did a lot of this type of thing. So not surprising there. Interesting that it's coming for a very prominent role here with the closer position. Um, but still not a surprise that it happened in one shape or another. Now, is this an indication that the Orioles are ready to spend even more? It doesn't feel like it just yet. Um, I still think the Orioles will be aggressive this offseason, and we can talk about that in a bit. Um, but free agency, still, this this doesn't really show me anything new from Mike Elias. This is more of the same. Um, you know, there, there were other closing options out there that would definitely be better. I, I think we can talk about maybe why they didn't do those. Um, you know, maybe they still will, but you know, with the understanding that Kimbrell will be the closer, I think the door is kind of shut on a lot of those guys. Um, but yeah, this doesn't really show us a whole lot new about the Orioles or Elias or, you know, sort of the, the theory behind team building. It's another veteran one year short-term deal that um, doesn't indicate any more aggressiveness uh, there. So we'll see, we'll see. There's a lot of winter to go. There's still a lot of ways to team build that can constitute, you know, spending in different ways. If you're willing to get guys that you're going to pay big arbitration or even do extensions or, or, you know, all that stuff. We'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Um, But, but let's talk about Kimbrell and, and why the Orioles made this move. So obviously Batista is an all world closer reliever of the year in the American league. Um, if he was healthy, I think it's very easy to say is a top two, three, maybe top one closer relief pitcher in all of baseball. Unfortunately, he's going to get Tommy John surgery. He'll miss all of 2024. Hopefully he'll be back for 2025 um, with no issues, have a healthy offseason and be ready to rock and roll opening day. But the Orioles, who are good right now, coming off a 101 win season, need to have a solution at the back end of the bullpen. And Bautista couldn't be it for 2024. So they need to figure something else out. Uh, Elias has said a lot since the end of the season or, you know, the end of the world series that the Orioles would be seeking a veteran back end pitching option. Uh, he most prominently said it, I think to Mark Feinsand of the of MLB.com at the GM meetings, like straight up was like, this is what we need in addition to some other stuff. And there's been reports coming out since then that the Orioles are talking and, and hot and heavy on a, a lot of big names for that sort of a role. Most prominently, I think Robert Stevenson was the name they were connected to a lot. Uh, pitched with the Rays last year. Obviously, the Rays do some things with pitching that I think the Orioles tend to agree with, and that's why it feels like you see a lot of names go back and forth between the two of them. Um, Orioles also connected to Jordan Hicks and Josh Hader, among others. Obviously, Hader is sort of a, a favorite uh, locally, went to Old Mill High School. Orioles drafted him originally, was eventually traded away, not by the Elias regime, but by the Duquette uh, regime when they were trying to, you know, put together those winning teams in 2012-2014. Had a fantastic career so far with uh, the Brewers and the Padres more recently. It was great last year and is going to get a lot of money and is going to get a lot of years for a relief pitcher um, this offseason. So why... Do the Orioles go for Kimbrell over Stevenson, Hicks, Hayter, others uh, to be the closer? I, you know, I'm not going to say money because I think if you could sign one of these guys to a one-year $25 million deal, I feel like maybe the Orioles are right in there on it because, hey, like we just need to fill a hole for a year because then we get 
our guy Felix back next year. So there's no need for me to spend, uh, I don't know, uh, $15 million, $18 million. I'm not sure what these guys are going to get a year for four years because I'm going to have a guy back next year making peanuts to be even better than Josh Hader. Maybe you could argue next year. Hader's going to be a year older. Uh, Bautista's going to be a year older too. And I, I think they're not that much different in age, but you get my meaning. Bautista is going to be cheaper around the same age, arguably getting better because he's got less experience, you know, getting more development, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I can see the argument there like, Hey, you know, obviously we have a budget to work within, not that we're trying to be cheap, but like to maximize our dollars, we're not going to invest them in a position that we know in 2025, we have covered already. We already have that. Why am I going to spend a bunch on that guy? Especially, and I, and I can't like take a Josh Hader or even a Jordan Hicks maybe and say like, Hey buddy, you're going to be the closer for this year. And even if you're great, you're probably not going to be as good as Felix Bautista. So you're going to move into a setup role in 2025 i'm not sure how that plays we, we know josh Hader. um you know I, I can't i don't know much about him personally i know there was um the padres were running out of steam at the end of last year they wanted him to come into a game late when they were out of the playoff race and he pretty much refused to go in saying like you know are we in the race what are we doing like why am i going to pitch right now you know a little bit of ego i think obviously he was about to be a free agent so why am i going to risk myself right now for a game that in the long run, doesn't really matter. I can understand that, you know, but does that sort of ego follow to the closer role? And say, like, well, I'm the closer. Say he has a fantastic season in 2024, which we have no reason to believe he won't. Why would he say, I was the your best pitcher on a team that won 95 games or whatever, goes to the playoffs, hopefully wins a series. Why would I then go to a setup role next year? Next year? Like, no, that's not cool. So I can see some of that too, maybe. You know, that's me kind of totally speculating there. I think more it's back to what I said originally, which was, you know, it doesn't make a lot of sense to pay for a position that, you know, you have covered in 2025 versus, you know, the difference between Kimbrough and Hader, I think, is quite a golf at this point. But you can probably cobble things together a little bit between Kimbrough and others on the staff that closes that gap, um, theoretically, um, you know, so. So there's some of that there. I think that's probably the the ultimate thing is we're not going to give multiple years. We'll give Kimber like this option, which is kind of like a pity option. Like here's another mill, you know, that's easy for me to say. Um, just so you feel like you're getting a multi-year deal, but you're really not getting that multi-year deal. You know, it feels similar to when Mancini got the option. That was a, a dual option where the player and the team had to pick it up. It didn't really make sense for either team, but it, it felt better. Um, I think this is a similar thing that, even if Kimbrel is really good, I mean, he'd have to be uh, immense in 2024 and you'd have to think like the rest of your bullpen options are really depleted to go into November next year and say, Hey, a 37 year old Craig Kimbrel at $13 million. That's a bargain sign on the dotted line. And we got him again for next year right now. That feels unlikely, but you know, talk to me again in, in July and he's got a two and a half ERA and he's, you know, saved 98% of the games he's come into, you know, maybe we're having a different conversation there. Um, so I, I think that's kind of the long and the short of it. And the insurance policy is nice for the Orioles to say like, okay, say Felix has issues with rehab or, or say that, you know, uh, the other guys in the bullpen don't pan out and we just have a really tough time of it. I think they, they kind of had a little bit of that last year when, when Dylan Tate didn't come back, when Michael Givens didn't work out, there was, 
issues in the bullpen at the end of the year. Now, September, they were quite good and they held it together. Uh, but then in that playoff series against the Rangers, obviously a lot of things went wrong. Pretty much nobody pitched well apart from uh, uh, Kyle Bradish had a, a nice start, I think, in game one. Obviously, the numbers don't look great, but I think the stuff looked really good. Um, the only person that really pitched well besides him, I think Kyle Gibson came into that that game three and had a nice outing um, in relief. But besides that, it was kind of a disaster from starters and relievers. Um, you'd like to avoid the reliever part of that, at least uh, with this Kimball move. So I think that makes a lot of sense there, too, um, to, to have that that insurance policy there of the option. But my expectation is that it will not be exercised, but I could be totally wrong on that. So let's talk about Kimbrel the player then. So he was quite good for the Phillies overall in 2023. Again, the numbers are not huge. Um, he had a 3.26 ERA, you know, definitely not lockdown stuff for a reliever and a 3.81 FIP. So, uh, you know, not again, not great numbers there either. That's that's getting you up closer to a four ERA. You'd be okay with that at the back end of your rotation. You don't love it so much at the back end of your bullpen. Um, but the good with Kimbrel struck out 94 guys in 69 innings this year, which is great. So, so that's an issue the Orioles have, I think, have right now on this uh, bullpen without Felix Bautista is they kind of lack that guy to go and get you a strikeout when you really need a strikeout. Felix was that guy. And I think Deal Hall is that guy from the left side. But obviously, um, you know, Hall is, I don't even know what his rookie status is going to be, but he's very close to kind of essentially being a rookie. You know, he pitched a little bit in 22, pitched a little bit in 23. Um, you're not totally at that point where you're like, DL, the eighth inning is yours or whatever, you know, DL Hall. We'll see what that becomes. And again, he's said to be in the starter discussion going into the spring. So, you know, some question marks there as well. But Kimbrell is a strikeout guy. Um, obviously, walks guys occasionally like, pretty much every reliever does gives us some hard hits, which we'll talk about. But at the end of the day, Craig Kimbrell is still a strikeout pitcher. Um, I got to look at what his strikeout per nine was um, last year. It was 12.3. I mean, that's great. It, it's not, you know, he was averaging 16, 17 strikeouts per nine when he was with the Braves early in his career. We're not there anymore, but 12 strikeouts per nine is very good. It, right in line with most of the closers uh, in MLB. So that is a huge plus right there for sure. Now he had a bad postseason. You know, if you go on, on social media and you kind of look at what Philadelphia fans talk about him, they say he kind of just ran out of gas last year. He was a, a, an age 35 pitcher that in September, October looked like an age 35 pitcher. So how do the Orioles combat that? I think you've got to get him more days rest. He threw uh, 69 innings in 71 games last year, which is pretty much right in line with, you know, how a lot of teams use their best relievers. Felix obviously didn't pitch that much last year because he got hurt and missed the end of September. But Cano, I think, pitched right around that amount of, uh, of innings and, and games. So if the Orioles use him again that way, you may risk this same situation happening where he kind of runs out of gas at the very end there when you really need him. So hopefully Brandon Hyde, Mike Elias, take that into consideration and say, like, all right, maybe we're not going to run him out for a game where we've got a three-run lead uh, in June. Maybe we'll let so-and-so maybe we'll let CNL Perez have an inning there, you know, try something else to, to get those uh, extra innings of rest when you can get them. Um, because, you know, it's guys, bodies do change. And, and we saw, I think even in Kimbrell's um, 
statistics. You can go back and look where he was, you know, great with the Braves, uh, very good with the Padres for that one year. Had some nice years with the Red Sox. It feels like forever ago he was with the Red Sox. Um, then kind of started to fall apart a little bit with the Cubs. Has seemed to reinvent himself now um, since joining the Dodgers and now the Phillies. And again, Dodgers, Orioles, there's some stuff there as far as like building pitchers and reinventing pitchers and tweaking things and mechanics that seems to run parallel. That I that feels good for Kimbrel as well. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, that would seem insane to say that the Orioles have some kind of secret sauce when it comes to pitching. Um, but it, it does feel that way. They've, they've kind of found guys out of nowhere and made them into something quite impressive. Um, Batista, a great example there. So um, we'll, we'll see about that. Uh, you know, we also have to be honest with ourselves here, right? He He's not the guy that he used to be. He's not Craig Kimbrell of Atlanta from 2010 to 2014, making all-star games, being the best closer in baseball, leading the league in saves. Like, that's not Craig Kimbrell anymore. He he very possibly could lead the league in saves again because it's kind of a weird stat, but we're probably not going to see it accompanied by a one and a half ERA and, you know, a, you know, twice as many strikeouts as innings. It's just not, not who he's going to be anymore. However, if you go look at his baseball savant page, you know, it's, it's not the best or perfect measure of how good a pitcher is, but there's a lot of red on there. You know, he's, Got good run value numbers. His expected ERA is very good. His expected batting average is under 200. This is a guy that doesn't give up a ton of hits. He strikes out a bunch of guys still. His strikeout rate is like is elite. He just gets strikeouts. He gets whiffs. That's what you want out of your closer. So there's plenty of evidence there to suggest this is a legitimate back end of the bullpen guy. Um, and the Orioles are, are fortunate to have him now. Now, at the same time as him having, you know, some good things, if you look at his baseball savant with high K rate, whiff rate, all those things, there's also some blue and there's some blue in some scary spots. So first he walks a lot of guys. Now, that's not going to be too new for Orioles, Orioles fans. Felix walked a lot of guys. I think Felix walks guys at a higher rate than Kimbrell does. And, you know, that's Felix, you know, we love him. There are definitely times he goes out on the mound and it feels like he's just guessing as far as where the ball is going to go. And you know, that's with his fastball, with his splitter and and with his with his uh, breaking ball stuff. There's there's just days where Felix looks like that. Kimbrell's going to be kind of the same. And I think that's that's true of a lot of relief pitchers um, in Major League Baseball. So not a huge concern there. The bigger concern is going to be giving up hard contact. And that's something that Kimbrell has had a problem with recently. Uh, a lot of barrels, a lot of hard hits. And it led to a lot of home runs for a relief pitcher last year. He gave up uh, 10 home runs. Uh, during the season last year, which is the most he's given up in a single season in his career by by a, a, quite a bit. He gave up nine, actually, um, with the Cubs back in 2019. But in 2022 with the Dodgers, he gave up four, um, six between the Cubs and White Sox in 2021. And then obviously the shortened 2020 season, he only gave up two home runs. But, you know, it's something that kind of popped up last year with the Phillies giving up a lot of home runs, which is gonna is a problem. Um, however, if you go back on his baseball savant, you can kind of scroll to the bottom there and they have a cool tool where you can look at how many home runs he would have given up by ballpark. Um, and it looks like with the Phillies last year or in the Phillies ballpark rather. So, you know, it's, it's, if you pitched every single game in those ballparks, um, that's how many home runs you would have given up. So in the Phillies ballpark, it would have been 10, just like he did actually give up. 
Um, but in the Orioles ballpark, it would have been seven. So again, a little bit elevated for his career numbers, but seven is a lot better than 10. That's a, that's a handful of runs at least. And that's something that we've seen a lot with pitchers now that Oriole Park has the adjusted um, uh, dimensions in left field is there are fly balls going and dying on the warning track or even short of it. That would have been home runs and in the 10th row uh, three years ago. The Orioles don't have that problem anymore, and it's something that's attractive for uh, major league pitchers. Now, he's not going to pitch every game in Camden Yards. He's going to have to go to Yankee Stadium, uh, which – you know, that's that's a, a bit more of a band box there. He's going to have to go to Fenway, which it's hard to hit a home run in ways at Fenway Park to, to left field over the Green Monster. But it's a lot easier to hit doubles. And then you've got that sh- that the pesky pole in right field that, you know, there's some weird de- dimensions in the AL East. But if you're going to pitch for any one team, I think, in the AL East and have some success at home, I think right now it's the Orioles, which is, you know, not been true uh, historically. So I think he'll get a little bit of a boost there. And if you can bring those hard hits down or not even hard hits, but fewer home runs down, Kimbrell's going to, his numbers are going to improve by quite a bit. And in addition, you know, you're working with the Orioles um, pitching. I don't even know uh, machinations and the system. And, you know, Chris Holt's not going to be the pitching coach anymore, but he's switching to, uh, the or he's going full time to the director of pitching role, and they're bringing in a familiar name for Elias and Holt. Uh, that is going to be the pitching coach. It seems it hasn't been announced yet, but that seems to be the, the direction that they're going. Um, and all of those things, the Orioles seem to have a way right now of tweaking guys in the best way to get the most out of them. Brandon Hyde spoke this week at the winter meetings about. Uh, Kyle Gibson and Jordan Lyles having really nice seasons with the Orioles late in their career. You know, who knows how much of that is true. Gibson has historically been a pretty steady pitcher in the big leagues. He just got a a nice deal with the Cardinals. We'll see. Hopefully that works out for him. Really liked Gibson on the Orioles. So I hope he has a nice, uh, a nice couple of years with the Cardinals as well. But we did see Jordan Lyles go from the Orioles who seem to know what they're doing with pitching to the Royals to get that two year deal, which is awesome for him. The Royals are a team that I think uh, a lot of people in the industry suggest don't seem to really know what they're doing with pitching development. Not that you're developing Jordan Lyles at this point in his career, but you're helping him double down on what has made him historically a an efficient and productive pitcher in the major leagues. He really struggled this year, like really, like arguably was the worst pitcher in baseball this year. So to have that that big of a drop in performance going from one organization to the other should make the Orioles feel pretty good. Um, so hopefully something with Kimbrell happens too, where, you know, you're working with a pretty good package there. He throws hard, uh, gets a lot of swings and miss already. I don't think there's a lot you have to tweak there. It's just leaning in to what he already does well. And I think that that should be pretty productive for him. Um, so, you know, at the same time, look, he, he's not Felix Bautista. He's not a guy that's going to come in and flirt with triple digits every single time, or even surpass triple digits. He's not a guy that, is he just doesn't have that aura about him anymore. And that's okay. I, I, I don't know that the Orioles need that guy to win, uh, to, 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 to meet the goals that they have set for, forward, which is, you know, first win the division. You win the division, you have an easier path in the playoffs. Now, obviously, 
there are some questions about that given the Texas Rangers didn't win their division and like romped through the playoffs. But in general, you want to win the division. So you get in the playoffs, get some home playoff games and theoretically have an easier path to the, to the postseason. Now that's going to be harder given what the Yankees have done so far and what they're expected to do with some other signings that have been rumored. Um, but the Orioles are bringing back 90% of their roster from last year. Kimbrell in place of Bautista is a step down, but it's not, it's not a, a five or six game step down. It's maybe a one or two game step down. You'd hope the Orioles make improvements uh, by bringing in some more external talents, particularly on the pitching side. You'd also expect that some of the young guys take some steps forward. Uh, you know, Gunner seems like he's only getting better. Adley was really good once again. Jackson Holiday, which we can talk about that in a minute, is sort of a, a winter meetings wrap up. Maybe he's involved a little earlier next year. There's a lot of reasons to think this Orioles team is still ascending, even though they won 101 games. They are getting better. Now, will that lead to another 101? Will it mean 105 wins next year? Probably not. But in general, the team, you know, hopefully is, is improving there. So he's not Felix Bautista, but I think he fills a lot of the needs that they have. He's not going to be as dominant, but he should be perfectly serviceable. And he's going to have to be handled with kid gloves a little bit more, I think, than Felix was. Now, should Felix have been handled more with kid gloves? He got hurt. You know, you can't predict all that stuff. But, you know, you get the point that I'm saying. He's an older pitcher. We have evidence to suggest he slowed down last year. You need to stem that by rotating in some other guys in save situations, staying away from Kimbrell occasionally. I think that's perfectly fine. If you still can count on him most days to be that guy, I think you're in the money there. Um, and then, yeah, the final point I'd written down to, to talk about was that Oriole Park, I think, is going to help him with those dimensions. I, I think it can only help. Um, so very excited to see uh, how that goes for him. So, you know, that, that's kind of the rundown of the deal, why it makes sense, uh, why they did it. Um, obviously not the perfect solution for the back end of the bullpen, but I think it makes a lot of sense for where the Orioles sit. So let's talk about the bullpen and where it sits right now. So sounds like Kimbrell is going to be the closer. Okay. Well, Tyler Wells and D.L. Hall, right now they're being talked about as if they're in the starting pitching discussion for next year. And sure, let's buy that. Let's say that Tyler Wells and D.L. Hall are in the starting pitching discussion. You know, they've got to beat out. Uh, they're not going to beat out Grayson Rodriguez or Kyle Bradish. I think we can assume that already. I think a healthy John Means is certainly a step ahead of Tyler Wells and D.L. Hall. You know, you got to watch his innings next year, but that, that's three already. You assume the Orioles are going to get somebody. Uh, via trade seems the most likely, which, you know, maybe that's Dylan Cease. Maybe that's Corbin Burns. Maybe that's Shane Bieber. Maybe they go sign somebody, a Jordan Montgomery, um, that's still out there, that fits some needs there. They're going to do something, I think. Michael Elias has said it, and not that we have any reason to necessarily believe him all the time because he talks a big game sometimes, but I think he's also been quite transparent about the Orioles' direction historically about, you know, it was going to suck for a while and now liftoff. Now, did liftoff really happen last year in terms of player movement? No, but the team did get a whole lot better and won a whole lot more games last year. So that kind of was true. Um, but he has said already this winter that they want a front end of the rotation guy. That guy, to my knowledge, <laughs> does not exist within the organization. That is not Kyle Bradish and Grayson Rodriguez. He talked about adding somebody that would be a Burns, a Bieber, a Cease, a Montgomery. They're going to add somebody. So now that's four guys you've got locked in. Are you really going to bump Dean Kramer out of that fifth starter spot? 
I don't think you can. Now, Dean Kramer had his issues, obviously, in the ALDS. Uh, and, you know, his numbers are certainly less impressive than some of his teammates. And his peripherals are scary sometimes. But in a lot of ways, that's like a perfectly fine fifth starter. He's a guy that is going to give you five, six innings every time. He's going to have a four and a half ERA. And he's going to give you 150 innings. I think that is a perfect fifth starter. So I have a tough time seeing Tyler Wells, who has now slowed down in the second half of the season as a starter two seasons in a row, but has a successful, uh, a full successful season as a relief pitcher, and then looked pretty darn good in the bullpen last year uh, after he came back from the, the stint in the minors. Looked good in the bullpen. I have a tough time seeing Tyler Wells getting back into that starter conversation um, and bumping out somebody that, to me is clearly ahead of him in terms of durability and production and longevity and all those things. Deal hall is a tougher one. Um, you haven't really seen him in the rotation in a major league uniform, but you've seen a lot of him starting in the minor leagues and it's kind of just, it's the same stuff. It's it's he strikes out a ton of guys. He walks a ton of guys, isn't super durable, has had injury stuff. He just, and it's been something scouts have said for a long time about deal hall is that he just has, that reliever risk to him. Um, and, you know, I, I think at this point where we are, you lean into it. You say, you know what, Dial, you're, you're left-handed, you throw hard, you bring a swagger to the mound, you can go multiple innings. That is like a super uh, dynamic weapon that the Orioles could have in their bullpen that they didn't utilize until late last year. And I think when he pitched in the bullpen, he looked great. So again, I have a tough time saying like, yeah, Dial Hall is going to be my guy versus Dean Kramer. Obviously, Hall is the more exciting player with the more dynamic stuff, uh, the more explosive stuff, the higher upside, I guess. But that floor as a starter, I think, is so low below what Dean Kramer gives you that it's not worth that risk when I think it's very clear how 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 exciting he can be in the bullpen. So, again, I get that they're going to go into Sarasota in February and say, like, yeah, they're in the, they're in the starter discussion. Like, they might they might be in a battle with uh, John means and, and Dean Kramer for those four or five spots. But ultimately I think they just make so much sense in the bullpen. In addition to that, I think you've got four certain guys in the bullpen. Um, you know, I say that now, but that always changes of course, which is Yenny or Cano, Danny Coulomb, CNL Perez and Dylan Tate. Uh, Dylan Tate, Mike Elias has said this week is healthy and ready to go. That was a huge hole for this team last year. Uh, you know, I, I don't think I don't view Dylan Tate as an elite relief pitcher, but I think he is a very good middle relief guy who, again, doesn't strike out a ton, but gets outs, is dependable, has historically been durable until this past season and then had a weird year where he was injured, came back, uh, had a setback, and then the season was just done. Um, but, you know, good would be good to have him back. CNL Perez, the second half was lights out. Amazing from the left side, electric, uh, doesn't get the kind of strikeouts you'd think with his stuff, but I think still a really impressive pitcher for sure. Danny Coulomb out of nowhere to be a really durable and important uh, lefty, sort of a, a stuff over, I'm sorry, a, a, not a stuff, a, a movement over stuff kind of guy, but a nice change of pace sort of option from the left side that that you can play well with. And then Yenny Cano again, another guy that came out of nowhere to be an all-star, uh, settled into the closer role once but. Excuse me. Settled into the closer role once Batista was out. Um, and again, I think uh, does a lot of things well for this team. So Kimbrell, Wells, Hall, Cano, Coulomb, 
Perez, Tate is seven, uh, seven guys. That, that could be your opening day um, bullpen. You know, sometimes the teams go a pitcher light. So you add the seven to the five of the starters gives you 12. You can't go more than 13 pitchers on a roster. And sometimes teams open up the season with a pitcher short because you've got a lot of off days baked in that first week of the season. You might not need the relief pitcher. So let's take an extra outfielder or whatever pinch runner guy for, for the first 10 days of the year or whatever. That could potentially be the opening day bullpen. And I think I feel pretty good about that. I think that feels like a perfectly fine setup that can get you through the first half of the season with with no issues, you know, and there is some room for injury to happen there, of course, because then you look in the minors and there's guys like, although there's options coming to play here a little bit. So you can't sneak all these guys through options. But among the guys right now, if we're just talking, you know, uh, there's Brian Baker, Mike Ballman, um, uh, Nick Vespi from the left side, uh, Logan Gillespie. Like these are guys that I think you don't love to have pitching high leverage innings. But I think if it's, you know, uh, April 20th, uh, you know, May 15th, and you need to call a guy up to uh, pitch an inning or two or come up for a doubleheader or whatever. I think you feel fine with those guys pitching the fifth, sixth inning of a, of a random game in the middle of the year. That feels fine. Um, you know, but I also think that it's a bullpen that is set up well to get to July and say, okay, we need something. We need somebody to come in and maybe Kimbrell's doing a nice job in the, in the ninth, but maybe Cano has had some of those midseason wobbles that he had this year. Maybe Coulomb's not as effective as he once as he was at the start of the year. Maybe there is an injury, you know, whatever. I think they're set up very well to be like, all right, we need a jolt of some kind. We need a guy that's going to, you know, be able to spell Kimbrell for the ninth inning occasionally, or a guy to take over the eighth from Cano, something like that. I think they're set up very well to go and get that. And, you know, I haven't looked at the roster right now to say like, Hey, this is who they could trade for that guy. But it's a team that feels very easy to slot in a reliever there. And at the trade deadline, you know, you get to that point where there's teams that right now think they're going to be competing in 2024 and aren't by, by the trade deadline. And then you can kind of pick apart guys that or pick apart rosters that are full of guys about to free agency. And, you know, you're not going to offer a qualifying offer for uh, a seventh inning relief pitcher, but Hey, I'll, I'll go get a, a, a 25 year old double a guy that I like some upside, you know, maybe he turns into something, you know, I, you could do something like that. And I think the Orioles, you know, they talk a lot about the Orioles uh, minor league system how it's, you know, a little bit top heavy with a lot of really elite prospects. And then the depth maybe isn't there that can change as the season goes on. There could be guys from the 2023 draft that pop next year. Um, you know, it, it can all change where you get more enticing prospects that you can ship off or something like that. So I, I think it's, it's certainly people are talking about the Orioles need to go do something else for the bullpen this year. They need to go get something else. You know, I'm sure that they will add, um, some names that you've heard of to be in the spring training conversation, but I cannot see the Orioles going and getting another highly regarded expensive relief option. I just think that doesn't feel to me like the way that Mike Elias views team building in general. I think, you know, we've had these rumors of them talking to Stevenson and Hicks and Hader, and I'm sure they did have these conversations just to learn like, all right, What's the market? Like, what are you guys looking for? Hey, if you're, like I said before, 
hater, if you would take a one year or even a two year deal with like a crazy AAV, maybe we would go do that because, you know, it's it's crazy in a way, but the Orioles have a very cheap roster and a roster that's going to stay cheap for a couple of years. You're going to give raises, you know, theoretically, if all these guys stay, you're going to give raises to Cedric Mullins. And I think Austin Hayes has another year and John me, you know, you're going give, to give these raises, but in general, your superstars, even next year, 2024, 2025 of, of Rutschman, Henderson, uh, Jackson holiday, maybe they're still going to be making nothing, you know, comparatively speaking. So I think the Orioles could go do something like that with a crazy high AAV over a year or two, but you understand it from the player's perspective too. Like Josh Hader as a relief pitcher, probably saying, I've been so good for so long and I don't know how much longer I can be this good. This is my like bite at the apple, dude. So yeah, maybe I'd love to have 60 mil over two years, but if I can get a hundred mil over five years or six years or even like, I'm going to take that because like either way is generational wealth that you can pass down to your kids, et cetera. But if you can get a little bit more, and you don't have to worry about performance as much. Obviously, they're professionals. You hope they're gonna, but you're gonna take that. So I can understand from the player's perspective being like, no, like, cool, that'd be cool to play for my hometown team or whatever. I don't know what conversations have had been had, but no, I'm gonna go for uh that longevity and that overall money number versus like just a high one-time deal there. So I think there's some of that, and, and I think that ties into Mike Elias's view of team building, which is you don't need to overinvest in the closer position because one, I've got a solution there. And two, if I don't have a solution there, I think I can create one. Now that's much easier to say when you have an 80 win team that you think is still building up versus when you have a 101 win team. I, I like that Mike Elias didn't just say, you know, I did it once with Bautista. I got him out of thin air. You know, I, I uh, traded away Jorge Lopez last year, who I, I built him up out of thin air. I can do it again. I can I can turn uh, Tyler Wells into, you know, Bautista 3.0 or whatever. You know, I'm glad he didn't do that again with a 101 win team who should be similarly competent next year. No, we don't need an experiment like we can experiment at the same time as having a, a known quantity. And that's what Craig Kimbrell is. I view that as like, that's what free agency is in general. Free agency is like raising the floor of your team. You know what Craig Kimbrell is. He's not the superstar he once was, but he is competent. He can get outs, he can get strikeouts. And now our ceiling is still determined by our young guys and maybe what sort of coups of a trade we can pull off for a, a starting pitcher. That is where our, our ceiling is going to be raised and free agency where you just set in the floor. Um, so I like where the Orioles have set the floor here with Craig Kimbrell. The team is still unfinished. They still need a starting pitcher. As uh, I think Jesse and I and even Eli spoke about recently, they need more power in the lineup. It doesn't sound to me like the way Mike Elias is talking as if power is a uh, uh, a priority for him. Um, but, you know, yes, you can assume that Henderson takes a step forward. Rutschman maybe gets a little more pop. You know, Holiday comes up and is in, has more pop than Frazier, although Frazier had a nice nice year power-wise at second base. You know, Westberg, if he's still around, I think he could be a trade candidate. But Westberg maybe shows a little more power. Kerstad, I know we've talked about that. Kerstad maybe gets more playing time, you know, becomes a 25 home run guy. I, I think all those things are possible. But again, in free agency or even adding veterans in general, 
you need to raise that floor versus right now you're just talking about ceiling. You're talking about unrecognized potential, which I think is, is tough to depend on, obviously. So you'd love to see maybe one more veteran enter the fray here. It's not going to be a Cody Bellinger type, but you'd like to see maybe something that, you know, gets you a, a 25 Homer guarantee kind of guy. And right now, the way Michael Elias is talking, that doesn't feel like a priority, which is fine. There may be something behind the scenes that he knows that we don't know. And, and there's going to be a lot more power coming from this lineup that I'm, than I'm anticipating. Um, but even still the off season is not done. The Orioles have a starting pitcher to go get for sure. And I think they will, they will add peripheral parts. They, you know, another interesting element here is that the Orioles did not make a pick in the major league portion of the rule five draft. That's the first time they've done that in a very long time. Uh, with the addition of Kimbrel, they now have 37 uh, spots taken on their 40 man roster. So quick math, they've got three spots open. Obviously one of those should go to a starting pitcher at some part, some point. What about those other two spots? The team didn't add anybody from the minors this year to, uh, to protect them from the rule five. Didn't lose anybody in the major league portion of the rule five. So good decision there. Um, so those two other spots, who are they going to two other major league spots? And, you know, there's a couple of names on the 40 man that you could very easily remove from the 40 man. If you had to, if push came to shove. So there's even more than two spots. If you really think about it that way, who are the Orioles going to add? I don't know. I don't know. You'd love to see some power, but, um, that'll be something that develops as the season goes on. Um, Let's see anything else to talk about. I think the other stuff, you know, we said they didn't make a selection uh, in the rule five draft, the, the major league portion, however, interesting there. Uh, I think that kind of shows where the organization is, has grown a little bit. You're picking at the bottom of the draft now. So any of the interesting talents are typically taken by then, or, or the talents you find interesting are taken. Um, so it makes a lot of sense there. I think another interesting note to talk about real quick, because uh, I know where I'm kind of going on a little bit here is that Elias did say that there is a strong possibility that Jackson Holiday makes the opening day roster for the Baltimore Orioles next year. I think that's notable. Clearly, there are some uh, uh, incentives for teams to add those players now with the draft pick compensation if they finish so high in rookie of the year voting, which the Orioles got that with uh, Gunnar Henderson this year. Uh, Jackson Holiday could be a similar situation where if he comes in and and starts right away and, and plays every day. It's tough to see that talent not shining through and uh, netting the Orioles more draft picks and also being an upgrade over, like we said, uh, Holiday. Or I'm sorry, Holiday would be an upgrade over Frazier or even the third base situation last year with Urias and Westberg. You know, it, it's you know, you, you just you see how the positions get moved around. You know, who plays what? Maybe Henderson plays third. Holiday at shortstop. You know what I mean? It's moving pieces there. Um, so that's interesting. Um, I think that it makes a lot of sense. He really only had a cup of coffee at Norfolk and it, it wasn't a uh, crazy performance there. I think uh, Elias even said he wasn't exactly tearing the cover off the ball in triple A, but he looked competent, was an above average hitter for that league, which as a 19 year old is super impressive. And obviously the levels below that he was crushing the ball and he was young for those levels too. So really incredible talent there. So it should not be a surprise, I think, at this point, if he does make the opening day roster with Elias coming out and saying that um, is, is pretty interesting. And then I think the final note uh, from the winter meetings was Scott Boris, who is the agent for a ton of players in Major League Baseball. Um, but I think for the Orioles, uh, particularly was about Jackson Holiday 
and Gunnar Henderson. He was asked, I assume by a Baltimore media member, if uh, he's talked to Mike Elias about extensions for those two. And uh, he jokingly said, yeah, just about once or twice every single day. Kind of went on to say, you know, that's something that we have conversations with them. Obviously, there has to be interest from both sides. It has to make sense, yada, yada, yada. Agent talk, um, you know, obviously is relevant following the Brewers signing their own prospect to a long-term deal. You'd love to see the Orioles do that. And at the end of the day, if Gunnar Henderson or Jackson Holiday or whomever wants to do that, it's on them to tell their agent like, hey, I like it in Baltimore or hey, I just want to be in one place and I'd love to sign a deal that buys out a couple years of arbitration, secures my financial future, all that stuff. Obviously, the financial incentive to do that for someone like Jackson Holiday, who, you know, I don't know his motivations or anything like that, but clearly his dad was in MLB for a long time, made a lot of money, has, you know, has some means for him. There's less incentive there to say like, yeah, like, I haven't even played for the Orioles yet. Haven't really spent much time in Baltimore yet, but I would love to sign a long-term deal and buy out years to stay here. I I can understand why there's maybe not a huge incentive from him to do that yet. Now, of course, if the Orioles want to overwhelm him with money and, you know, give him the craziest contract ever, that changes the conversation a little bit. But I think right now, if you're just talking about a market level type of deal for a kid who it seems like the sky is the limit and he's yet to even play for you. Um, I'm not sure if I'm Jackson holiday, if I take that deal. Now Gunner has spent more than a year with the Orioles. I don't know his upbringing. Obviously he got a nice signing bonus when he was drafted, but clearly not uh, the type of money we're talking about for some sort of an extension that buys out multiple years. Um, I don't know. Maybe he loves Baltimore and wants to stay here. And if he does, then it's on him to, to tell his representation, Hey, let's make something happen. And if he's not, that's totally his right too to say like, hey, I want to feel things out a little bit more or I, you know, eventually my goal is to go play for so-and-so. Maybe he wants to go play for the Minnesota Twins one day. I don't know. He's from Alabama. Maybe he's a a, a Braves fan. Um, I don't know. It's that's you got to remember these are people that have feelings and thoughts and preferences and it's not always all about money. It's not always about you know, uh, the hometown discount, the storyline that that's not always at play here. Um, so, but interesting that, that Boris has brought it up and I'm sure he wouldn't have said that we talk about it if it didn't somewhat happen. I'm sure it's not happening once or twice a day, but um, I'm I'm sure that the, the discussion has been had um, because, you know, Henderson feels like a, uh, a surefire star since we've already seen it for a whole year holiday. He's got all the earmarks for the same. So we'll see. I'm not expecting anything there. Uh, there's been no murmurs of it uh, happening, but uh, nice to at least have the thought out there. Um, so I think that's going to be it for this episode. I know I went on for a little bit there. This was supposed to be all about Craig Kimbrell, and I kind of went off on a few tangents, but I appreciate you listening uh, to the show. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Uh, like I've said on previous episodes, we're going to keep banging these episodes out, hopefully at least twice a week um, and definitely twice a week by the time the regular season rolls around. Um, certainly if something crazy happens or important, we'll try to get on the mic, at least one of us, um, and, and break it down for you all. Um, to, uh, please be sure to get involved with the show on social media. We're particularly busy on Twitter at the warehouse pod. We do have a threads account. If you're over there at the warehouse pod as well, I've tweeted a couple things. Uh, we're starting to fire that up a little bit. We've got a YouTube page. You can just search, uh, the warehouse podcast or the warehouse pod. 
username and we should pop up there. Would love to get to 100 subscribers there um, by the start of the regular season. I think we're at 71 or 72 as I'm talking right now. Would love to get to 100 by the start of the year. Uh, get engaged over there. Trying to do more video so you can see me this time. Hopefully the editing, editing wasn't too wonky. Uh, we'll try to work on that as the winter goes on. Um, what else? Oh, our Substack, the warehousepod.substack.com. The way that works is you give us our, your email address and we'll just send you the show via via email um, in a nice little newsletter format. And hopefully coming later this winter will be some more written stuff. I'm going to try to separate those feeds so that if you just want the podcast, you'll just get the podcast. If you just want the written stuff, you'll just get the written stuff. And if you want both, you can have that option as well. Haven't done that just yet, um, but do that. If you are interested in that, um, I think I said that already, thewarehousepod.substack.com. You can email the show, thewarehousepod at gmail.com. And please, you know, if you're not subscribed to us already on your favorite podcast app, please do that. We should be everywhere. Spotify, uh, TuneIn, Google, Apple, um, all the third-party stuff, we should be there as well. And on those different platforms, if you could give us a five-star rating, that would be awesome. If you have issues with the show, please email us about them and we can try to rectify them. We'd love to get those higher ratings so that people that are Orioles fans can find us and and uh, get involved and, and give us some love there too. So I think that's about all I've got. Um, also check out the Believe Podcast Network. We are a part of now as the Orioles podcast over there. They've got a bunch of content and podcasts about pretty much anything you're into, particularly sports. If you've got a college you're into, a football team, a soccer team, head over to Believe.com. And you can probably find a show for you over there as well. Um, but that is it for now. Until next time, I have been Tyler, and this has been the Warehouse Podcast, and I thank you for listening.